It's that big thing of like, are you a showcase actor or are you a working actor? If you want to be a working actor and get known as a working actor, not a showcase actor, get out there and self-produce. Because most actors just, first they get an agent and then they just kind of wait for calls. Then they get a little active and they start doing cold reading workshops. And they think, okay, now I'm getting out there. I'm doing cold reading workshops. I'm doing what an actor should do. I'm taking classes. It's like, no, man, the big actors, they they do their own thing. Whether it's a a play, you know, produce your own play. Whether it's a film, produce your own You're known now as a working actor. Someone that just does those things that working actors do. listening to Inside Acting, a podcast dedicated to demystifying the inner and outer game of success in the entertainment industry. I'm your co-host, AJ Meyer. And I'm Trevor Algott. And coming up in episode 239, we throw open the old doors to the old AP vaults and bring back our long ago, but still totally awesome and more relevant than ever. And you'll hear why. Conversation with working actor, photographer, and typecasting aficionado, Mark Atterbury, one of our favorite people in the whole wide world. In part one, Mark shares about his unlikely journey from musician to actor, the lessons he learned about typecasting by working behind the camera, the three things needed for a successful career in the entertainment industry, how to transition from being known as a quote-unquote workshop actor to a professional working actor, all about perception, really interesting stuff, as well as a great discussion on effective postcard marketing and a whole lot more. As you can tell, I was trying to cram as many little tidbits into this intro as I could, but there's just there's there really is like a whole lot more. So it's just the first of a an epic, awesome two-part interview coming at you over the next couple episodes so stick around Support for this episode of Inside Acting comes from VO2GoGo.com, the award-winning voiceover training system and winner of Backstage's Reader's Choice Award for Best VO Training four years in a row. Visit VO2GoGo.com slash start for a free getting started in voiceover online class that will help you add voiceover to your acting portfolio. That's VO, the number two, GoGo.com slash start. So what's up, AJ? Hey, buddy. I know you know. I know you were trying to cram a lot into the intro, but I mean, on the heels of the uh, you know Bob Clendenin interview, and we just had somebody reach out to us on our Twitter account asking about you know typing. You know, it, I think she said like, is it possible to be typecast when you feel like you're not? When you feel like you don't have a type? Like, there's a lot of relevancy here. So uh, yeah. I don't think you. Uh, I don't think we need to apologize at all. This is like perfect timing yeah you know I've, I've wanted to bring back this interview for a while and i think when we just sort of touched base briefly the other day we were like is it time it's time yeah it's, it's, per- time. Perfect. it's the perfect time in and the discussion in this part one about casting director workshops and stuff really comes on the heels very nicely of the whole discussion we had with david h lawrence and billy demota and rebecca metz i mean it's it's a whole different perspective from six years ago that is still completely true and relevant and also interesting because we didn't know half the things then that we do now and yet 
so much of it still sticks. And uh, coming from a guy like Mark, who's who's uh, um, like take on an effective, successful career is all about type, all about like specific targeted marketing, especially when it comes to these workshops. It's it's just it's perfect. So I'm really excited to be bringing this one back. So it uh, looks like you've got another Vio to Gogo class coming up. Yeah, in just a few days, depending on when uh, people are listening to this. It's this coming Sunday, June 26th. Uh, again, managing clients and projects, voicing documentary and narration, and also animation and video game voiceover. So uh, a lot to cover and a lot of fun stuff to cover. So this is the same one that you announced uh, a couple episodes back or, or last yeah. episode. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <clears throat> the last thing I want to ask you about here, which is on the outline, um, you wrote self-tape for theater. And this actually ties in nicely with one of our listener questions that, that uh, we can respond to on this episode. But um, tell us a little bit about this. Oh, uh, the only reason I bring it up is just because it's it's kind of rare these days to self-tape for a theater role as opposed to a film and television role. There's yeah. a show um, <clears throat> that I'm really excited to be a part of. I, I have auditioned for it before. I don't want to jinx it, so I'm not even going to talk about it, but they're doing it at San Diego Rep, and um, it's for the lead, and the audition is this Thursday, and so since I'm leaving out of town, I was like, Asked my manager, I said, can we work with them? You think they would let me put myself on tape or whatever? And, and they are. So anyway, uh, not a whole lot to report there, but I just wanted to, you know, put it out there. Good energy. Good yeah. vibes. Yeah, totally. When, when, when did you put yourself on tape for this? I'm doing it as soon as we are done oh. recording. All right. Yes. <laughs> This episode of Inside Acting is brought to you also in part by Rehearsal Pro, the next version of Rehearsal, the essential app for actors. And guess what, guys? It's ready. It's available. You can go get it right now after months and months and months of us teasing this app. It is now available in the iTunes App Store. And yes, it is an iOS device only app. Uh, But if you want to learn your lines, be off book for your auditions, explore your character, make stronger choices, and do a lot of cool new stuff as well. Go to Rehearsal.pro slash IAP right now to learn all about the great new features in this new version of Rehearsal, which again is the groundbreaking app designed by actors for actors, and you can also download it. Uh, There's a link on that page where you can download it right now as well. So that's Rehearsal.pro slash IAP, and that is the app for actors. Thank us later. Oh, man, I've been using the hell out of it since I got it. Yeah, I had so a, excited. Yeah, I had a meeting, uh, an eight paged dialogue meeting. Uh, Whoa, yeah, nice. Yeah, uh, last week for um, uh, an indie film, and I was like, eight pages, like, bust out rehearsal, and I used it. And one of my favorite features of that app is that you can just record yourself reading the scene, press play. And then it just loops over and over. And I, I, I learned from doing some of this, like, I, I read this great uh, book by Anthony Robbins recently, and he talks about NLP and the different ways that people learn. And I realized that I learn and I'm primarily sensitive to auditory. So there are people who learn mm. visually. Some people learn kinesthetically, you know, through moving and touching. And other people learn, you know, through sound. And that's we all have a sort of primary modality through which we experience the world and absorb information. And mine is definitely auditory. And so I just recorded the scene and I just played it over and over and over. I'm doing dishes, I'm cooking, I'm driving, I'm doing whatever. I'm listening to those those words more over and over and over. And I just absorb them through osmosis. And I love that feature about that app. It just makes it super easy to just just play it for yourself. It's great. 
I couldn't agree more. First of all, second of all, why the hell didn't you tell me about this eight page? Do you, did you talk about this? Is this similar? Is this a, a story you told? And I just didn't know it was eight pages of dialogue. Like I feel like I haven't heard about this audition. No, no, I didn't. I didn't <clears throat> talk about this. This was oh, what's today? Monday? This Tuesday? This was last week. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. So we have recorded since. Yeah, I, I haven't talked to you. I don't think since then. So got it. Yeah, no, it was, went great. It was fine. It was just you know one of those things. You go in, they put you on tape. You have a nice conversation with the really nice you know, session runner and then you go home, buy yourself an ice cream or something. Yeah, it was good. Um, and it was a good script. It was like, you know, whether I'm a part of it or not, I'm excited to, to see the film because it's, it's, uh, it was definitely a page turner, nice, like monster in the house kind of story. Yeah, it was good stuff. Nice. I love, uh, love, love working on good material, right? Oh, always. It's, it's quite, uh, quite a bonus sometimes. The day, the day it got pre-released to the people who funded the Indiegogo campaign, I got a last-minute audition. I had two hours to memorize seven pages of dialogue for a uh, top-of-show guest star. And on the drive from my apartment to the audition, I had it in Rehearsal Pro and playing on loop. And by the time I got to the audition, I was off book. And the casting... Uh, associate or, or assistant who had called me in after I was done taping it said, I can't believe you memorized that. I just <laughs> just sent you the audition like two hours ago. Don't thank me. Thank Rehearsal Pro. Right? Ding. I know. I felt like such exactly, yes, exactly. Oh, God, that's so true. I felt like such a, yeah, it was a little bit of a goober. Yes. Anyway, uh, moving that's awesome. on. <laughs> well, well, actually, to, to, just kind of do a little callback to you putting yourself on tape for this uh, theater show coming up as soon as we're done recording. Tom writes in from New York and says he has a question about self-submitting for both theater and TV and film. He says that he's been out of the market for a few years raising a family, but he's got a few credits. He's got a Broadway credit, two co-star lead roles. I'm sorry, two co-star roles on Law and Order, uh, both about seven or eight years ago. And he's got a few off-Broadway shows under his belt as well. So he's trying to break back into the business. But after some time off, he doesn't have an agent uh, anymore. His that agent actually retired, so he doesn't have a ton of connections, and he's just getting back into it. So he wants to know our thoughts on self-submitting for projects. He says, "Well, I am looking for an agent." Is there any benefit to self-submitting myself to both TV film casting directors as well as for theater, specifically musical theater? So this is all you, AJ, specifically musical theater. And he's just wondering uh, how one would go about self-submitting for uh, these projects, especially theater projects. Do you include video uh, when you self-submit? Do you have to – this is me talking now – do you have to throw in or do you have to be in touch with the casting director to sort of get the okay with this? He would love to hear our thoughts on self-submitting for projects in general, but I'm thinking specifically with theater, especially for unrepresented actors. So uh, I'm going to throw the mic at you, AJ, and just Ah. hear what you have to say about this, because I would like to know as well. Oh, man, there's so much. This is a a big one. It's deceptively simple, but there's actually a lot of different things to cover here. The the, the first thing I want to say is, like, regardless of whether or not you're in New York or L.A. or anywhere – Anyone who was going through this, Tom, uh, or, or or other listeners who, who are feeling a similar way, my first instinct when I read this was like, just get out there. Like, just do work. 
you know, get involved, talk to friends, talk to other actors, figure out who's doing what. If there's like, you know, free readings to, in New York, there's not the same sort of um, because of the the real estate issue. I've talked about this on previous episodes. There's not, there's not the same amount of um, even free meaning, meaning you don't get paid unpaid um, uh, theater work. So getting on stage, is, it's not the same. It's not like people don't do runs of shows in New York. Um, the union rules are different. The, um, the cost is prohibitive. And so what I found was there are opportunities to get involved in all these different communities all over the place. Um, I was doing every few weeks uh, this, this like new play. Jasmine and I both were doing this like new play reading thing um, in New York that was just happening in a, in a – in that a coffee shop every few weeks. I love that. Um, it was called like the, the playground, uh, under, underground playground or so, something like that. I'll, I'll, I'll figure it out, Tom, and maybe we'll put it in the show notes for this episode. But there was stuff like that. There was the New York uh, Musical Theater Festival that you could go in and audition for. Uh, just there's stuff going on all the time, but it's like little, little things here and there. And I, I really feel like, uh, you know, just getting out there, doing work, getting into class, um, putting yourself uh, back into the rhythm of of being a, an actor and an artist, number one, and number two, um, uh, sharpening your tools that have pr- potentially gone dull over the last seven to eight years. Not that your raw talent isn't still there, but maybe your you know audition skill set isn't still there, uh, you know, et cetera. So. Just working, period, is, is, the, is the first thing. And then in terms of the self-submission, um, <clears throat> I don't think it's that much different, New York, L.A., or, or, or otherwise, other than maybe the number of projects that are available and possibly a, a minor market. But we've talked about this in the past. If you think you're right for something, yeah, of course, self-submit. What's the worst that could happen? You don't get called in? Okay, that's what was, was going to happen when you didn't submit yourself. Hmm. So you maybe spent a dollar on the printing of the headshot and the resume or whatever. Or if you figure out how to email your stuff or submit through electronic submissions websites like Actors Access and um, uh, what would be NY Casting, I guess, in, in New York. Um, yeah, just do Actors Access. Actors Access is pretty much uh, all you would probably need on on the East Coast. Um, yeah, and it self submit not just for film and television stuff, but but the theater, uh, not theater, uh, uh, student films as well. You know, uh, or 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 like little little uh, these little projects that I'm referring to that people are doing. Like there's all these little things that you can get involved with. So submit for all of it. If you have a reel and the reel is strong and you feel good about the reel, then you you could potentially include a <clears throat> um, a link to said reel. But I wouldn't include a, a video in your submission. That was one of his specific questions. Do you include video with your submissions? I wouldn't do that unless somehow you have access to the sides and you're just going to put yourself on tape and include that video. But if you're if you're submitting. 99% of the time you're submitting for the opportunity to, to audition. Um, so putting, putting yourself on tape isn't necessarily going to happen unless you have access to the material. So, so this is interesting. I just want to be sure I'm, I'm hearing this correctly. So, cause like, you know, for instance, when I submit to something on actors access, it looks good. I have the option to attach, you know, my reel or a clip or something like that. So are you saying not to do that? No, I'm saying, uh, there's no reason to include a video if it's not, the if it's not a, either a a strong reel like you just said or okay. b the actual material itself. Okay. 
Like if you like, for instance, okay, let's say for instance with Tom specifically, he says that there's two, co- you know, these two co-star roles on Law and Order, both about seven or eight years ago. If either a he doesn't look or sound the same anymore, uh, or b he's not comfortable with that being a, a very strong showing of his work, why there's no point? Like why submit that um, unless he was self-submitting for a similar show, like a procedural drama, and uh, the scene that the character that he's submitting for is very similar to the character that he did, then of course, Trevor, like that's, that's, that's a no brainer. Like definitely make sure that the casting director can see you, Tom doing that exact thing. It's like, you can cast me. I've actually done this before. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, but what I'm saying is there's no reason to like attach a video to an email. If you're, if you're self-submitting in that way. Yeah. We, um, yeah. And we talked about that before that the real purpose is just to see for them to see, you know, three things, what you look like, what you sound like on camera, uh, and whether or not you can act. And so they can mm-hmm. say, is this person going to be worth bringing in? Can we see right. him in this, him or her in this, in this role? Right. Yeah. So if that video is outdated or you don't feel it's a strong showing, then then, yeah, not necessary. But I'm, I'm curious, AJ, what what your protocol is for musical theater or theater when it comes to self-submission? I have had to I have had the opportunity to put myself on tape for musical theater stuff. It is challenging for a number of different reasons, not the least of which being if you don't have a karaoke ish track for something. Uh, you have to find, you know, a friend who's willing to, um, you know, record the piano track and then email it to you. Um, pianotracks.com, pianotracks, T-R-A-X, um, is that right? Is a, a friend of mine actually runs that website. He will record anything uh, for wow. you and, and get it cool. to you. That's a really amazing uh, service. Um, I've used um, him in the past. I'm blanking on his name right now, but um, super nice guy. And um, I know his wife was a professor of mine, a singing coach of mine. Um, so that's a great resource. But um, the so the main challenge is just is is audio, right? It's like making sure you have a backing track, making sure that you sound good on camera, making sure that the balance between the backing track and your voice sounds good. But there's no there's really no difference other than maybe maybe pulling the camera back a little bit from doing film and television auditions. You 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 have an intention, you direct it at somebody. The one challenge is maybe balancing the theatrical energy with the camera energy because you can't have theatrical energy even though you're um, auditioning for musical theater having a theatrical level of energy might not come across well on a on a camera Mm -hmm. so that's a that's an interesting balance to strike um, and takes practice and then the other thing is if you are tom getting back into um, you know, musical theater stuff um, that, you know, finding a coach, uh, a, vo- a vocal coach who's also willing to support you putting yourself on tape is invaluable, which is something else that I had when I was in New York specifically. My, um, my, my, my voice teacher who I've talked about on the podcast before, uh, Tracy Grimaldi, would actually book me in for two, a two-hour chunk, one for coaching and one to make sure that we got the tape, you know, done well and right. Um, and, and, you know, throw a, an iPad or an iPhone up on a tripod the same way that you would if you were, you know, self-submitting for any or, uh, self-taping for anything else. Yeah. Um, and then why the hell not? Like, if you think you can sing and you can sing this part and you can act this part and this part's right for you, 
you could, you know, who the hell knows? You could totally impress somebody or you could um, potentially set yourself up to get called in for uh, another role mm-hmm. in the future. So if if you're submitting for a musical theater or just straight up, you know, theater project on one of these self-submission sites, is it worth it to include a, a reel or a video clip of your film or TV work as a reference for like we talked about before, what you look and sound like and whether or not you can act just so they can see that? Or is that sort of like not accepted uh, stuff? Like, I, I kind of feel silly that I don't totally know the answer to this, but I, I don't submit for theater on um, these casting sites. So I never thought about this. I, I don't think you should feel silly at all. I actually don't have a really good answer for that. I think it would be. Um, yeah, I, my first instinct is I have no idea. Uh, the second thing I would say is <clears throat> I think it would depend on the situation because if you are auditioning for, like, say, say someone was auditioning for, um, you know, the War Cycle, the Los Angeles Theater Ensemble's War Cycle, and they happen to play a soldier on television, like, why the hell not? You know, right, if you yeah. have that sort of, yeah. like, energy, you know, um, it, it would make sense. But I wouldn't submit, I wouldn't submit my Law & Order or my, my procedural drama clips for a musical like Heather's. So could it, in, in your, it, in your opinion, AJ, could it harm you? Could it harm your chances of being seen as a viable option? Um, I, only if the casting director decided to take it one step further, be a little bit of a prick and say like, this person clearly doesn't understand mm-hmm. the industry or not, not that they clearly don't understand the industry, but they like, there's, they were, like, this is useless, this is pointless, and they're, they're, they, they could potentially be wasting my time with this. Mm-hmm. If they wanted to be like a jerk about it, maybe. Um, but I feel like, I, I, I'll say this, I don't think it helps. Not okay. that it hurts, but I don't think it helps. And is there any difference in your experience between casting directors who primarily cast film and television versus casting directors who primarily cast theater and, and musical theater? Um... Maybe in Los Angeles, but not in New York. Hmm. And the reason why is because the casting directors in New York do everything. Gotcha. So they, they are multidisciplinary <laughs> casting directors, as it <laughs> yeah, were. Yeah. What, yeah. Are, what, what are the differences that you see in L.A.? Um, I, I, I don't know that I would be able to um, describe um, attributes that are different between them. I just know that there are like... And I've, I've talked about this on the podcast before. I just know that there are like four or five uh, 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 theater casting directors in Los Angeles that, that, that just do theater. That's all they do. Right? That's okay. all they do. And then everybody else does film and television. Got it. Um, Got it. A- attributes wise, um, I don't know. They remember my name better. I don't know. <laughs> not, that's not okay. film, film and television casting directors. But. Cool. Cool. Yeah. All right. Well, we hope that helps, Tom. Um, interesting conversation about this kind of stuff. I I never thought about, um, you know, if there were different rules or, or or coming back to it, you know, after seven or eight years with some older footage. Um, so thanks for the question. Hope this was supportive. And if any listeners have any input that they'd like to share, please, uh, call us, send a a voicemail, um, you know, email us, tweet us, whatever, and let us know. We'll make sure we get your voice on the episode to weigh in on this issue as well issue it's a conversation not an issue uh anything- you're an issue <laughs> i am an issue is there anything you wanted to add before we jump into part one with mark 
I think I have spoken enough. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right, guys. Well, enjoy this. Like, like we said a little bit earlier, maybe we didn't specifically say this, but this interview is like six years old almost. So this is way back in the day, and it's interesting. Like, we have a totally different energy. We were early in the podcast. We were earlier in our careers, and we were younger. Um, so it's an interesting thing, even though the information is totally there. Uh, try not to get too distracted by the completely, not completely, but the different vibe uh, from which you may be used to hearing. So without further ado, uh, part one of our Redux interview with Mark Atterbury. We'll see you on the other side. All right, guys, welcome back. We are sitting here with Mark Atterbury, actor, photographer, self-producer, marketing guru, (laughs) multi-hyphenate, teacher, yes, Uh, uh, many, many, many different uh, hats you're wearing, Mark, Um, but we're very pleased to have you on the the program, so thanks for being here. My pleasure. So... We met Mark at ActorFest, uh, as you may uh, recall from, what was that, episode 36, Trev? 36, yeah. Yeah, and we, sitting in this hour and a half um, workshop, type workshop that, that you did, Mark, we knew, like, in the first couple of minutes that we, we had to have you as a guest <laughs> on the show, because so many of the things that you were saying were so in line with things that we had talked about on the podcast and also taking those things kind of a step further. So before we jump into all of that, uh, we usually like to start out just talking about where people kind of got their start, you know, what brought you to acting, all of that stuff. So um, I think you have a, a bit of a story we were talking a bit about of a bit story. before we started yeah. recording. <laughs> um, well, I actually started as a musician. I mean, I played music my entire life. And um, that's what I thought I was going to do. So when I came down to Los Angeles, I actually came down here to go to school, but also to train and to get into the field down here. Uh, I played a lot of pit orchestras. I played trombone primarily uh, up in that area, up in San Francisco area for quite a while. So I came down here thinking I was going to take over the world. And, but um, Take over I the world of, with your trombone. With my trombone and tuba. <laughs> I doubled. But uh, the <laughs> when... when uh, once I was down here and got into the field, I fell into acting. I met a guy named John Cochran, who was the head of the Yale Masters Department years ago, back in the Merrill Street days and all that stuff. And uh, the guy just rocked my world. And I was out of school, but he taught back at, at, in college. So I went back and I took a, as an alumni, I just took a course and had so much fun. I went, oh man, now I got to do this. <laughs> but And the transition was kind of weird because music wasn't happening the way I wanted it to. And I was having so much fun with acting. That's how, that's how I fell into it. You know, and then I got into, I, I got an agent accidentally because I just happened to meet a casting director who goes, oh, go check out this agent. Tell him I sent you. So not knowing that agency, getting an agent was difficult. I got one like that. Right. So, and I, I literally just fell into it. I really did. And then I met some celebrities and that kind of helped as well. They got me through some doors and yeah, one thing led to another and. And then my acting career tanked. It went nowhere. So, so you took the easy route. Yeah. That's but awesome. I did find out how difficult it was. And that's why, that's where the photography really came in. Uh, photography's been my hobby, my hobby my entire life. 
And so once acting wasn't going quite the way I wanted it to, I started shooting headshots and that snowballed, got bigger and bigger and bigger. And then I started getting some nice celebrities and then that led to some commercial campaigns. And so now I do a little bit of commercial photography as well as still some headshots. Awesome. So yeah. And then acting came back about three, four years ago. So, so when you say acting tanked, what it, so you said you had like you, these things kind of fell into place and then it tanked. So what happened? Yeah, I, I mean, I did do a fair amount of commercial work. I did a good amount of voiceover work. So uh, I did have some fun with that. But it, it was just, it was really not going in anywhere. And then for some reason, and now I know because I talk about type and teach type, um, my type was changing and I wasn't adjusting to that at all. Hmm. And so I really was getting no work. I was still trying to do the same old thing that I had kind of grown out of. It just wasn't working no more. So, I mean, thankfully, I had photography, and that grew, and the teaching grew, and all that stuff. Do you mind so, if I ask uh, how old you were when you felt like your type was changing? Um, I mean, I'm sure it would be different for every person, but it's just interesting to me to hear somebody be, well, I mean, you weren't self-aware at the time, but yeah. now you are, uh, know that your t- type was changing. What age about was it's that a good happening? question, actually. About 30. Okay. Yeah. Huh. I think so. I mean, the 20s, you know, were kind of going, and... I still look young. I mean, I had that going for me, but even so, I didn't have the inner life and the personality that, that matched, and I was trying to do something I really wasn't. So in 30s, that's when I really started focusing on other things. Huh. And then when did you come back around to acting? I, I mean, I never let acting go entirely. I will say that. It's always been a part of me, and I just I love it. I absolutely love it. But um, career-wise, I wasn't as focused on that. Um, it came back probably about three and a half, four years ago. Uh, I went to a, an acting studio and a bunch of people said, let's do a play. So we did. We put up uh, Angel City by Sam Shepard. Just like, if we're going to do it, let's do crazy, man. Let's do Sam Shepard in <laughs> yeah, like his right. crazy period. And that led to uh, I, a manager came who I knew because I had shot a lot of her clients as a headshot photographer. And she came and uh, went, I didn't know you act. And I'm like, yeah. She's like, well, let me let me send you out. So once again, I fell into right, right, right. <laughs> you know a really good manager. Right. Well, that's that's cool. What I like about that is that it just it just shows that it's it's all about relationships. It's it not is. Some, there's no magic formula. It's just it about is. being a cool guy, being out there and working and being friendly with people, and then yeah. the, the right things kind of tend to come along. Yeah. There's yeah. three things, man. If you just do these three relationships, keep those going. Always hang out, do stuff with people in the business. Um, the second one is just focus entirely on your craft. And the third one is uh, it's right time, right place. The first, uh, the, the two you can do stuff about the right time, right place. You just got to keep doing it and hoping that that happens at some point when you're at the right time at the right place. Yeah. So that's it. I mean, that's that's really the secret right there to acting. We're done. Yeah. Good night, guys. Yeah. Good night. <laughs> <laughs> that was a very quick. That was a quick interview. That was yeah. Easy peasy. All right, get out of here. And I'm a firm believer in theater, man. I think every actor should be involved in theater on some level. Or production, yes. as we kind of talked about. Pump. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Well, I mean, I'm yeah. working on Luck you right can now. Stay. <laughs> the, the Dustin Hoffman series, the HBO new series is coming out next yeah. year. And mm-hmm. um, those guys are all theater guys. I mean, you know, Nick Nolte, Dustin Hoffman, Dennis Farina. Yeah. I mean, those guys, that's where they, they got their, especially Dustin. I mean, that's where they, you know, yeah. sharpen their teeth at. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, and they still, they still have the desire. They still talk about it. All, and Pacino, look at Pacino. He can't stop doing theater. Yeah. Yeah. So. It's true. Right on, yes. dude. Yeah. So, so affirmation, yes, <laughs> validation. Um, so, so around thirty or so, you said you kind of drifted away, and then you started to come back a couple of years ago. So, I, I'm fascinated by this kind of evolution that you you had between twenty and twenty years old or so. Um, yeah, is that about when you started twenty or so? I started probably. I dabbled maybe early mid twenties. 
around 24 is when I met this guy, John Cochran. So okay. that's when I started to dabble. Okay. And then I, I did. I had a fair amount of success pretty quickly, you know, just because of falling into the right circles and, and my right place at the right time. Right. But yeah, and around 30 is just when I, I, I wouldn't say it, it faded or anything. I was still trying. I still wanted to do it. I just wasn't having the success I wanted to. Right. You know. I, I, have a, I have a question, actually. We, we have a lot of uh, listeners sometimes uh, call or write in that are like, you know, uh, should I go to school for this? Should I not go to school for this? Um, m- my question is not necessarily about that specifically it's that you you didn't go to school specifically for acting for theater to get your degree in that field so i'm wondering when all of this sort of success started happening you started as you said falling into it where you you know sort of accidentally got an agent and that kind of stuff where, where yeah which is like it amazing. was so accidental i don't want to make it sound like you know, oh i don't want to do this come on like, no, you I, said it you said it you, no, I know, was, I know. your words your words um, what, uh, my question is, what were your resources? Where did you go to sort of learn how the business worked at that point, being that you weren't necessarily involved with it before then? Cause like yeah. for, for, for me, one of the things that I enjoyed about going to school so much is even though I didn't learn a lot about the business side of the business in school, which is, I think one of the shortcomings of a lot of the yeah. programs in the country. Um, I still felt that I sort of like eased into the business. Like it was right. a little bit easier to kind of ease in because I was getting at least training. Um, so I'm wondering if you, you know, you graduate and all of a sudden you meet this, this, uh, uh, gentleman from Yale and, and, and it's like, Oh, I'm, I'm going to start acting now. Wh- who did you, where did you go? What, what were your resources at that point? Well, fortunately the casting director that I, I had met, um, told me, she goes, you got to get into a good class. You got to get a really good agent. I mean, she was actually very instrumental in sort of pushing me directions that I didn't have to learn. I mean, she basically filled me in. So I immediately went to some really good teachers and I've studied with some of the, the best teachers around, you know, in the last 20 years, certainly. So I was pushed in that direction. I was told, you know, even though you didn't go to college for it, you got to get in a class and learn to do some good work. So like I studied with Ivana for four years, Roy London, um, Howard Fine. I mean, all the, the kind of guys that have been around for quite a while, Larry Moss, you know, studied back in his heyday and so I, that does make a difference. I mean, you really do need to stay focused and keep practicing that craft. Because here's the irony is like it, I really learned the business kind of in the second half of my career because I was in the business and not meaning as an actor, meaning I was now shooting commercial campaigns as a photographer, casting, you know, TV commercials as well as still campaigns as part of a, a team of people for one of the big clients like Big Lots. I mean, I really learned a lot about the business there. When I was a headshot photographer, or I still am, but when, I, when I'm doing headshot photographer, agents are very clear to say, man, you're not even getting it all with this person cast like. You know, have, have you even thought about that? I mean, I learned by talking wow. to agents. Yeah, and it, so it, my school was actually being in the business on the other side. It's like, you know, live or die. So, and that, that's how I got to know all the stuff from the business side. But it was kind of a combination of things happening at the same time. I was pushed, though, and that did help. It did have the help to have the advice of this casting director, you know, to, to go. You better get in classes because your competition is the best in the world. And I remember my first thing I did was a commercial, my first big thing I did. And I was horrible. I really was horrible. I remember looking at it afterwards going, wow, I suck. And it was on every day. Um, it ran for four years on Channel 5, like at 1130, every single day, Monday through Friday. So I'd have to see it over and over and over and over and over. So during those years, I felt like the impulse of like, keep going with class, keep going with class. You know what I mean? <laughs> Don't so ever funny. be on camera like this again. Yeah. That's so funny. Wow. So, it's, it, so at least I knew. I mean, it's great 
like you guys, you know, you went to college. It's, it's great. The great thing about college, as we talked about, is you get a circle of friends too that just keep moving through the business and keep helping each other get jobs. That's a great thing. But you also form a nice foundation of getting, you know, how you work. It's that, very true. It becomes a habit. It's very true. So when you go on a set, you know, okay, I got to do a little bit of my preparation. I got to do my, you know, my scene study or my, uh, my script breakdown. You know that because you've set good patterns. So anybody that hasn't taken classes, get in there, man. You got to get those classes and get some kind of a routine. Cool. I always use the analogy of uh, like basketball players, you know, before they do a free throw, they all have a routine. You know, it's like three bounces, look at the hoop, three more bounces, That's look at so the hoop, funny. one more shoot you know what i mean they got and they do it every single time but i think actors should do the same thing too it's like here's a role i got to do all my things and my prep and now i'm ready to shoot yeah and you learn that in class right on that's a good that's a good tip i I like that a lot yeah so um i got that basketball pun tip oh i didn't mean to do that thank you it worked yes uh that's me just missed a pun um so so you i mean one of the reasons i mean we met you at actor fest where you where we sat in on this kind of hour and a half session on type right. being a type and things like that. But you gave some really wonderful, practical nuts and bolts advice for how to like, almost like position yourself from a marketing standpoint in this industry to kind of capitalize on your strengths as an actor and really kind of take a, a beeline to getting, right. to getting cast more often. Right. So can you talk a little bit about how this ideology, de- I mean, it's obviously you've yeah. talked about, you know, working on the other side of the, of yeah. the camera helps help it develop, but how it developed and then, and then what exactly it is that you really kind of offer like uh, to, to actors as far as advice and, and things right. like that. Um, we are talking about the other side of the camera. What I really learned from that is LA is such a typecasting town and you hear it, but I, I did, I had no idea it was as, <laughs> as big of a deal as it really is. I mean, it really is about typecasting. And acting doesn't even matter that much. That's what kind of blew my mind once I got to the other side. I'm sorry to interrupt you real fast. Are we talking both commercially and theatrically? Commercially and theatrically. Absolutely. Right on. And part of the things that has changed that over time is, because I think back when it used to be actors could do a lot more stuff, but it's the speed of things. I mean, casting is so fast now. You know, I I don't bet you guys, but when I'm acting, I literally get the script like 4 to 7 p.m. at night for a 9 a.m. audition tomorrow morning and it books for the next day. I mean, it's that fast. They can't do much exploring and trying people out and seeing, oh, this guy's always done this, but let's see if he could do this. They don't have time for that. So because of the speed, they now basically go, oh, no, he's perfect for that. He fits that type. Let's just throw him into the role. Bring him in, see if if he can do it fine and make the director and the producers happy. Send him in. So that speed has made things even worse in terms of tight casting. So in terms of what I learned was, man, I need to be telling actors about this stuff because I didn't know a lot about the business side when I first started out. And I think trying to make myself do everything was, was a flaw in my business plan. You know, because I was trying to do all these different characters. And it's like, 65-year-old woman, I can do that. You know, <laughs> whatever it is. Right. I did it in theater. <laughs> right, 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 right. But we all do. We learn that, especially if we come into town from doing community theater, you know, we think we can do everything because we yeah. do do everything. And it's, it's not that way in L.A. So that was the big eye-opener. So then um, once I realized that it is about typecasting, uh, then it's just like, well, how do I help actors to see what their type is? You know, how do you identify that? So I started coming up with exercises, and I would do that in my headshot photography when I first started. You know, we'd have a big discussion about typing and, and how are you going to cast, and let's take advantage of that because if that's how you're naturally going to cast, man, you've got to hit that one because that's what's going to make you the big bucks. You know, I tell people, because people always have that thing of, you know, well, 
So I don't want to be typecast. Yeah. I, I can do anything. You know, we, I'm an we, actor. That happened in your in, in at Actorfest. It I remember did. this. Yeah. It was yeah. there was that one girl who was like, but I don't want to be, I don't want to be typecast. It's, it's it's funny the resistance, the pushback. It you is. Get. You know, she she probably was you know sort of from that community theater idea yeah. of like, well, I don't want to be typecast. I don't want to be pigeonholed. And right. and you were like, why not? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's going to make you money. Like what? Well, that's the thing. It's like is okay. I can get on Sepulveda and I can crawl at a pace and barely move, or I can jump on the four hundred five and go super fast and get to my desk destination you know yeah. and be there and do whatever i want once i'm there i mean it's it's why pass up something that will help you get to that point to where you can do anything and you, you once said, you're a celebrity you can do anything you want yeah exactly you said something really interesting uh i think you said this in the workshop you said charlize theron yeah. had a really brilliant kind of idea for how she wanted to do it she yeah. wanted to play that kind of like blonde ingenue character exactly yeah. until she was able to establish enough to play the monster roles and things right like that. exactly and i used to be in class i used to be in acting class with charlize and she just got it I mean, she knew what she did well, and she'd do it over and over and over and over and over. And she always had that monster thing in the back of her mind of, like, I really want to do those kind of films. But she knew if she just keeps hitting it, which she did, nail what she does perfectly, what she does naturally. You know, and then one day she's Charlize Theron, recognizable actor. It's like, now I want to do monster. Sure. Go ahead. Right, right, right. You know? You can sell tickets. That's awesome. Yeah, Yeah. it is. What was really heartening about what you just said was that it, it almost made me think, like, that maybe for the actor who doesn't have a lot of credits on their resume, yeah. that it's not nearly as hard to, you know, quote-unquote, break in as it used to be because it's such a fast casting process now. It's like, will the producers be happy? Great, throw them in. Yeah. He's got the right look? Great. Yeah. And it's not so much about like, well, have they done much work on a set before? Right, I mean, that's still exactly. a factor, but it seems like it's less of a factor now. It is, and there are certain casting directors and shows that, you know, like Criminal Minds is renowned in this town for, they're really open to new talent and seeing new talent. Scott's a great guy. He's a great casting director, great guy. Mm-hmm. And then there were others that I won't mention that are not open to new talent whatsoever. They've got their five agencies, the top five. They really like them, and that's where they pull from. Right. You know, right. certain shows like House is pretty renowned. They generally they don't always put out a breakdown. Sometimes they just call their favorite agencies and go, "Who you got?" Right. You know, so you just got to find the right places. Yeah. But it's interesting. Now, how how in your estimation, like, what would be the best way for somebody to go do that? Like, find the best places. I mean, obviously. Would you do you recommend things like casting director workshops and that kind of thing? I love when I get this question because I'm probably the only person that has this answer. Um, here's my feeling on casting director workshops. I think when you're first starting out, it is actually a good thing to do when you're at a good talent level. I mean, make sure you have the assessment of a teacher that's honest with you or someone that will be very honest with you and go, "Am I at a good talent level?" Because if you go in there and you're horrible, they're going to remember you. You know, I mean, I hate to say that, but they, 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 they do. They will forget after a period of time, you know, but I, I don't recommend someone go and just put out a, a bad version of you to start with because right. you're making bad first impressions. But if you're at a good talent level, I think it's good to kind of get out there and get to know a few people. Where I think it's best is you get real comfortable auditioning in front of casting directors. Because, you know, you, how many times did we go in as actors? I remember when we first starting out, like, shaking so bad, like the chair shaking mm-hmm. as you're sitting there waiting. You know, it's just like you want to get over that or you want to get to the place to where at least like now I'm still nervous every time I audition. But it's like I've accepted it. That's just part of the audition process. And I'm completely comfortable with it. Yeah. You know, so once you're at a place you feel comfortable auditioning, those kind of things will help you to be really good at feeling natural auditioning for a casting director. You know, so that's the biggest benefit of it, I think. Um, the long, I, I'll be honest, I'll tell you the story. This is, this is where I form my opinion of, of corporate workshops. 
Um, Jeff Greenberg, I won't say who, but had an assistant a while back who uh, came in and did cold reading workshops. And I did a trade with, uh, I did a bunch of photography for one of the bigger studios, cold reading workshop studios, um, for 50 free workshops. So I did a bunch of photography with them. I got 50. And I, so I did. I did 50 of cold reading workshops. I got called in, and I do think I was one of the better actors in class, and I hope that's not my ego speaking, <laughs> but I did get a fair amount of calls. But it, every time I went into the audition, it always felt like it was obligatory, like they needed to pick one person from the class just uh, to do it. Yeah. And I'd be like, all right, thank you, Mark. You know, it just never felt like I'm excited to see what you're going to do. What are you going to do? It right. never felt like that. Where now, you know, some of the casting sessions are that way. Um, and I talked to this assistant because she became an agent and she called me up out of the blue and she goes, listen, I'm forming an agency and I'd love to represent you. Where are you at? Who's your agent? Are you happy with them? We had a meeting and, um, and I asked her, I said, well, what do you think of cold reading workshops? Cause you know, that's where I saw her again. And she goes, I know you from Jeff's office. She goes, I remember you as a working actor that we'd audition regularly. She goes, unfortunately the, the cold reading workshop people I think of as cold reading workshop actors. There's like the working actors and the cold reading workshop actors. Mm. And she says, that is in my mind. So she said, for that reason, I don't really recommend it. She says, you know, and I said, well, it's been good to help me get comfortable. And she said, then, and that's a good reason. So there are pluses and minuses to it. That's my honest answer based on what she that said. It's really interesting. But it's that thing of, you know, don't be an extra because if they start seeing you as an actor, <clears throat> they'll always think it. And I think there's some truth to that. Mm-hmm. Because one of the biggest things I think I've learned in life is... People generally remember how they first meet you, you know what I mean? And they don't really, see, that's why when friends start out and you're both, you know, hacks and you're going at something, you tend to remember each other as that. Now, if you grow together, it's different. But if you just kind of move on and do your own things and you come back and one person's got successful, they still see the other person as that basic person they used to know in the beginning. Right. I think that's right. the best articulation of why my manager doesn't like the casting director workshops. Because remember, I mean, we talked about this so long ago. Yeah, to to to, qual- to qualify the context in which we were kind of asking that question, yeah. we we've talked about this in the podcast a lot from both sides of the of the coin. Like, right. are they a ripoff? Are these cast directors just there to make money, or are they a legitimate way to actually get known? And yeah. so we we've never really come up with a solid answer, but it's always interesting to continue the conversation. Yeah, we've had we've had casting directors yeah. actually on the show, kind of explaining the whole. What just happened this year with the the better what is it better business bureau or the state of oh, California yeah. kind yeah. of going yeah. after yeah. the DA's office <clears throat> yeah kind of going after them because you know uh, looking at them for like fraud and stuff like it was a huge yeah. right. thing that happened so yeah. it's been a big topic of conversation uh, yeah it is over the course of this past this past year especially so we've had people say yes they're great and no they're terrible and everything in between and I think that that what you just said is exactly what the reason why. My my manager in particular doesn't like them, and I don't think that she even knows how to articulate it yeah. the way that you did. And I and yeah. I think that's it. I think that's a good explanation is that she doesn't want the casting directors to sort of start to see you as the, the guy from the casting director workshop as opposed to right. the working actor who just happened to come into their office. But there's sort of a catch twenty two there too because like how yeah. if you're just starting out, how do you get into those offices in the first well, place? Well exactly. And people do book work from them. It's not like they never do. I mean there is things that that are booked right. from them. Especially like like again, like Scott from Criminal yeah, Minds. He, he I mean he's so good at Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So there are benefits to doing those kind of things with the right people. How do you find that out? I guess just kind of talk to a lot of different people that have done them. Um, I do think there's good and bad though. It's like, I like actors key. I don't know if you guys know much about yeah, actors, actors key. Actors yeah. great. I, I really like them. And 
what I think is beneficial, and even I've done this a couple times, is find a casting director on a show I would never work for. Well, I won't say never, but it's not really the kind of thing that, that's right for me at all. And go in and do that just to get a little bit of feedback. Because the great thing about Actors Key is they do give you the feedback, you know, written feedback, and they'll talk about your headshot. And mm-hmm. So you're getting one person's opinion, um, and it's a casting director, so it's, it's valuable. But it's also a show that you're probably not likely going to be up for. So there's a benefit to that. So I mean, it's, I, it's, it's almost like a no-pressure situation. Interesting. Well, it, it is in a way. I mean, again, I don't want to... It's one of those weird things. I don't want to discourage people and say, don't ever do casting you know, workshops, because there is some value to it, and there is a chance. But... It's that big thing of like, are you a showcase actor or are you a working actor? And the one thing I will tell you guys, and you know, I talk about this in my seminars and now it's my intensives. It's the whole focus at the end of the class. It's self-produce. If you want to be a working actor and get known as a working actor, not a showcase actor, get out there and self-produce. Because most actors just, first they get an agent and then they just kind of wait for calls. Then they get a little active and they start doing cold reading workshops. And they think, okay, now I'm getting out there. I'm doing cold reading workshops. I'm doing what an actor should do. I'm taking classes. It's like, no, man, the big actors, they, they do their own thing, whether it's a, a play, you know, produce your own play, whether it's a film, produce your own, you're known now as a working actor, someone that just does those things that working actors do. Right. I know both Trevor and I want to spend a lot of time talking to you about sort of the whole self-produ- self-producing thing, which, and this would have been a perfect segue, but before we get into it, I have to bring up another sort of controversial uh, topic around the, along the same lines of the casting director and the casting director workshop, um, and that is... Postcards. So, <laughs> well, you can use the postcards to to promote your your the work you're doing, right? Yeah. Right. Your web series, exactly, your shorty, exactly, or whatever. But, but we have had the most ridiculous, and I guess this will be one of those things on the podcast that just never, quote unquote, gets solved. Yeah. You know, like I, I think that we'll never. We'll either never stop talking about it or we will stop talking about it because we'll realize that there's no such thing as an answer. Right. Um, <clears throat> but because you spend so much time working on, um. Uh, actor type, te- you know, helping actors discover their type and putting together successful marketing campaigns uh, and for yourself included, I've, yeah. you know, we saw some of your material at the, at the, at actor fest. We, we have had so many people saying like, you know, yes, send postcards out, you know, once every three weeks and no, never send postcards out, like yeah. never send. And, I, I don't know. We we it's just been like this debate on the podcast that I, we could talk about at length. But I really just kind of wanted to throw it out there and see what you, your take on them is because it seems like you use it and you use it to a degree of success too. Yeah. So, yeah. what is your take on sending sending out postcards to casting directors? I, I mean, I think it's actually a good idea, and it's. First of all, you're never going to please everybody. Never. I mean, certain casting directors hate them. And no matter how hard you try, you're never going to make those people happy if you send them a postcard. And I think that's fine. You know what I mean? So you generally want to find what works for the most part and kind of stick with it. It's the same thing with typecasting. Let's be really honest. Every casting director is going to have a little bit of different opinion of you. No one's going to have the identical opinion that another one does because we all see things a little bit different. But what we care about in this business is what rises to the top most. You know, you guys saw when I, in my class when I do a typing exercise, it's it, you, you get a bunch of different answers, but what you care about are the ones that come up the most for you. Yeah. So, and and that's how the business is too. Postcards, I think generally they are a pretty good thing to do. Most ca- I do a lot of seminars with casting directors teaching around the country, and they all basically say the same thing. It's just like it's a, it's a good effective way to stay in touch because it's not offensive to them. Yeah. For the most part. Well, you you mentioned in the seminar like the Bed Bath and Beyond flyers that we all get yeah. like one every day. Yeah. And yeah, they're annoying, but. <clears throat> 
hell, dude, if I need a pillow, I'm going to go to Bed Bath & Beyond, <laughs> yeah. you know, because yeah. it's in my head. Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's called the Rule of Sevens. And Dallas yeah. Travers talks about this a lot in her seminar as well. I love Dallas for the business side. Yeah. Um, but it's called the Rule of Seven, and it's basically um, you have to do something seven times before people recognize it. Or you have to put yourself out there seven times in front of somebody before they recognize you. And it's actually known as the 7 to 21 rule in the business mm-hmm. world. Yeah, I've heard of 13. But yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that's what I mean. That's why it's the 7 to 20. There's yeah. different numbers that different people will say. But yeah, once people have seen my postcards um, seven times, they begin to recognize it. And you know, people that I work with, people I've shot with, people, my, my clients I work with and consultations, um, we have a, a look, we have a color scheme, we have a branding you know, identification thing with each one of their postcards. And it's consistent. So they start to recognize it. I yeah. think I show the one in the class. Mine, my colors are purple and black. Yeah, I, have, I play I, a lot of bad guys. I still guys. have one of yours on my desk because I, I look at it because I think about when I'm going to design my own, and I notice that the you, the whole color scheme thing I'm fascinated yeah. by. Yeah, it is. But the color schemes help define me even more. Yeah, purple is a little bit of richness. It's purple, blue, and black. Um, purple and blue especially show a little bit of richness. I play characters that have a little bit more money or clout or that. I don't play lower class as much. Um, black because I do a lot of dark characters you know right. people you think are nice and rich and together but they're not they're twisted and they're the serial rapist right. so it for <laughs> me that really works and then i've got other clients where it's literally like lime and orange you know which is crazy but it works perfect for that client but these things stick in people's mind it's right. like bed bath me on it's always blue yeah Wait, so you're going to recognize it it's always blue with a big 20 percent on it yeah yeah so, and they've sent it out so many times. Yeah, like you said, you know, it's, you know, you go to Bed and Bath Beyond when you need 20% off, you just wait for that coupon. Absolutely. And it's coming. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, totally. Exactly. So, and that, that is the rule of sevens. And you apply that to, like we were saying earlier, to what generally comes up. Yeah. Now, I, another quick question about postcards because, um, I, and I, I, I kind of think, I think I might know the answer, but I'm going to ask anyway because. There are postcards you can send for specific jobs that you've booked. Like the yeah. one I have is when you booked a, a spot on, uh, I forget the, the show off the top of my head, but it was it was a spot and you said, you know, thanks to the cast and crew of this yeah. show for a great shoot. So, and that was a very kind of specific postcard. Like you had it made specifically for that job. Right. Do you also have like general postcards with just your headshot to send us thank you notes? I or? don't. Yeah, to be very honest with you, I, I, I want to stick with the casting director's <clears throat> opinions, general opinion on this one, which is please just remind us when you're doing something. Uh-huh. And here's the point. If you find, I mean, I find if I don't have a postcard to send out, <laughs> I'm being lazy. It's time to get out there and do something as an actor. Oh, I love that. Because That's it doesn't, awesome. Yeah, what, a great, it doesn't, what a great measuring stick. Well, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, and yeah. I do try to send them out about every three to six weeks. I try to get something out there. Like right now, I'm not sending anything well, out because the business is shut down. It's December. Yeah, <laughs> right, right, but, right, right. But that is what I do. And, and so it's like, all right, let's get together and do short film with my buddies. And so I have something to promote, at least, even if it's not a TV show or whatever. Right. Right. Yeah, I, I, I think that is the general consensus that we've come to, even, even though what I was saying before about never really having an answer, is yeah. that you know uh, one of the people that came down on the side of absolutely not was, once again, my manager, who is a recurring character on our, on our podcast. But she was like, why are you sending them a thank you card for doing their job? Yeah. Like, you know, absolutely not. And, and so I think the general consensus we came to was like, if you're going to do it, if you're going to send postcards, make sure you have a reason to do yeah. it. And yeah. um, Jason Lapadura at ActorFest was saying like, I want, I, I love getting postcards because yeah. it reminds me that you're out, there. you're out there. He says, I want them every three weeks. And that's like, I mean, obviously a guy who casts a lot of episodic television and so on and so forth. Yeah. Uh, um, but 
when we were when he was sitting next to Frank Levy, John or John John Levy, John Frank Levy, it, it, they were sitting on the on the same panel, and the I, and the uh, topic of postcards came up again. Jason Lapadura repeated himself, and he was like, "I, you know, send them send them to me every three weeks, even if it's like I just changed my hair color." And John Levy was like, "Absolutely not!" Yeah. He's like, "Keep that stuff out of my mailbox. Are you kidding me? I I will, I will throw it in the trash. I hate that." Yeah. So, like you said, you can't please everyone, but if you're gonna do it, at least make sure that it's because you're doing something. Yeah. For the most know? part, that will generally please the casting directors. You know, <clears throat> I mean, let's be honest, they get a hundred submissions every single day. That's what I've heard. Agencies get a hundred eight by tens. Casting directors get at least a hundred postcards every day. Um, so they don't have time to go through them all and read what each one says. <laughs> so for the most part, I'm, that's why I believe in the branding thing. I mean, it, it, I'll go back to Bed, Bath & Beyond. We get 16 pieces of junk mail every single day. At least I can recognize the Bed, Bath & Beyond. Right. I may not take the time to read you know, the fine print and go, when's it overdue and all that stuff. But it's in one hand and immediately in the pile. I know what it is. Same thing with postcards. If you have something, they like, never expire. By the way, you can you can go after the expir- expiration date. No, you're right. It, 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 yeah, so you're right. California law. But, um, but we are not. We're not sponsored by Bed Bath and Beyond. <laughs> However, I am. <laughs> um, the uh, the postcards. If you have something that's standard, again, you know, a standard color set, a basic format that just basically changes a little bit, they do recognize that. Seeing that over and over and over, seven that's times. Yeah, now, in, in your that's experience, in your experience, do do they? Or to your knowledge, do because because I can see if they're getting a hundred postcards a day, yeah. do they have like an assistant that says, "Here are the postcards. Do you want to look at them?" No, trash. Yeah. So so there's a yeah very good chance your stuff's not even gonna get seen by anybody yeah. but maybe the assistant. This is, I call these my green room conversations of okay. when I'm doing something at SAG Foundation or wherever, and I'm sitting backstage. I'll ask the honest questions like, "Seriously, do you guys even look at every headshot?" No. You know, and that's when they're honest. And sometimes, you know, if, if we have time, absolutely. If we don't have time, it's the whole stack goes to the right. trash. I mean, it's unfortunate. But again, that's the nature of advertising. That's the nature of branding. Right. It's right. like you just put it out there, hoping it's at the right time and the right place. Well, it's the same yeah. thing as the junk mail you get with the Bed Bath & Beyond thing. Sometimes yeah. that whole pile goes exactly. to the trash. Exactly. Yeah. A lot of yeah. times, yeah. 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 But and it's it, better than not doing anything at all. Well, you know? and exactly, because yeah. yeah. I hear, you know, actors sit and complain about, you know, well, I sent all my headshots to every agency in town. I got no responses. And I'm like, well, it could have been a very busy week when that came in. And none of the agencies will have time. I mean, you literally are hoping that your picture comes in at a time when they need your type and they have time to open it. Yeah. It's like cover letters. People always go, you know, do they read cover letters? Um, sometimes they do read cover letters. If it's a long cover letter, nope. If it's a paragraph, a short paragraph or three sentences, right. they might, you know, they might. But even if they don't have time, forget it. They don't. Yeah. So put your focus where it really matters. I got a really good headshot. Put a little sticky in the front that says, I'm great with comedy because I know agents are always looking for comedy. You know, people that are good with comedy. Threw it in an envelope and I just threw it out. No one got response. No, no responses came. I did it again three weeks later. None came again. Three weeks later, I did it once more. Just and suddenly I got seven calls. Yeah. Right, right, right. right. Wow. Cool. Now, do you, do you send postcards to... Um, for instance, like casting directors maybe that you haven't met or don't have a relationship with? Um, yeah, you I do. do. Okay. It's funny because you talk about you're a manager. I have, I, I love because my manager and my agent have very different opinions of, of this kind of stuff. Because uh, my manager also is, she believes in postcards, but it's like have a purpose where he's more of just like keep reminding him, you know. Um, another one is that I, I showed the promo in class I have. I sent out a, a really nice promo that basically brands me just so they can remember me. And, and what I was working on, the phrase I've been working with is the evil bad guy. I'm sorry, the uh, the evil best friend. 
Because people see me as a best friend forever. I'm a nice guy. I'm approachable. But he's twisted. So we have fun playing with those kind of phrases. Of like, you know, you ever wonder if your best friend's evil? This oh, one cool. is. Yeah, yeah, you open yeah, it up yeah. and there's my picture, mm-hmm. you know. So we play with things like that. But my manager hates it. Because my manager believes that actors should be able to play a lot more stuff. Where my, my agent's all for it. He's like, man, let's just brand and get specific and let you nail it. So he's more coming from the school that I come from. And we, I agree with both sides, but again, I talk in generalities. I'm going to go where what generally works. And being very specific with your target marketing, being very specific with your branding, your colors, everything else does work more often than it doesn't. So, sorry, manager. <laughs> Folks, welcome back. I assume everyone is un- starting to put together, you know, once again, why we decided to bring back, you know, this interview. Um, so much valuable stuff there and so relevant to the conversation or conversations that we've been having recently on the podcast. Um, anything you want to sort of debrief on, Trev? Gosh, there is so much in this interview, and parts one and part two, and there actually is a lot that I would like to to sort of uh, elevate to the level of post-interview conversation, but I know we're tight on time, so I'm not going to. Maybe. I lifted you up, and then I dropped you. Um, But we do have some thank yous and some picks of the week to talk about, so a big shout out to a listener named Carl, who sent us a a really generous one-time donation. Carl, we know it was a little while ago, but we wanted to make sure that we got a nice thank you, shout out to you on the show, Uh, our deepest gratitude for your support of the work we're doing. And also we wanted to welcome Miranda and Marsha, two of our most recent members. One thing we've kind of gotten away from uh, is, is... thanking people by name on the show we always send a nice welcome message uh via email and a thank you via email and we always you know thank welcome them in the membership and we get to know them there but we have not um given them a shout out on the episode so we're gonna be doing that again so marsha marsha and miranda thank you carl thank you uh and you listening you could be next <laughs> so what's your pick of the week so my pick of the week i can't i don't know if i've talked about this guy on the podcast before but i i certainly don't think i've made him my pick of the week but my pick of the week this week is a person slash uh youtube channel slash facebook page of uh, a gentleman named jp sears jp sears in his life actually is a a sort of a spiritual guru, life coach, um, very into, uh, you know, sort of new age yoga. I think he's a yogi, you know, as well, like this whole movement. Um, But he has made an entire career online presence completely mocking and making fun of this whole movement. And it is hysterical. It's some of the funniest stuff I've ever seen. For instance, he has an entire video on how to become gluten intolerant. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. He has an entire video. You'll appreciate this one, Trev. He has an entire video on how having a man bun makes you more spiritual. Oh, it's true. As a a former man bun owner. (laughs) Owner. (laughs) Um, He has an entire video. And the the thing is, is like you I knew watching these videos that you, you have to be super intelligent and and know this culture so well in order to make fun of it as well as he does and sure enough there was one 
episode or one video that he put out that was about selfies. And it started out really funny. And the longer it went on, I realized he was dropping some serious, epic knowledge bombs. Um, and it became not serious, but, but, but very poignant. And I stopped laughing and just started listening. Mm. And you know, I got to love you know, what humor can do to have people you know, understand something. Uh, sometimes better than any other medium. Hmm. So uh, the link to his YouTube channel is on our page. Go and either subscribe or just watch through all the videos. I guarantee you, you will have a laugh, especially if you listen to and enjoy some of the um, <clears throat> more new agey stuff we've talked about on the podcast itself. Oh, cool. I can't wait to check that out. Uh, JP Sears. Anyway. Check it out. What is your pick of the week, my friend? Uh, My pick of the week is a podcast, but a specific episode of a podcast. It's called Talk Nerdy. Talk Nerdy to me, Trevor. Exactly. And the uh, host, creator, you know, producer of the podcast is a a chick named Cara Santamaria. She is a really smart person. And she, uh, I'm just looking at her bio right now. She's a Los Angeles area Emmy and Knight Foundation award-winning journalist, science communicator, television personality, producer, and podcaster. So quite a qualified, brilliant mind. And the specific episode that I'm referencing of her podcast is episode 109. And it features uh, a guy named Ben Hauk. And Ben and I were at the Climate Reality Leadership Training in Miami back in September. We were at the same table. In that training, they grouped us all based on like where we were coming from. So I was at a table with like seven or eight other people from LA, like basically my neighbors. And so I got to know Ben, and Ben has a website called fightclimatedenial.com, and Ben is also a really, really smart guy, and this conversation between Kara and Ben is so compelling. It's just brilliant. I I remember a a while ago, AJ, or maybe it was one of our listeners, they said like, oh, you know, I want to hear... Trevor get interviewed about the climate stuff and yeah. I, I, I actually didn't press the issue because I was like I don't trust that I have the mm, I don't trust that I'm that I'm going to be able to clearly communicate everything that I was that I had absorbed and that I'd been turning over in my head I, I just haven't quite gotten to that place even though it's been months but this interview with Ben is everything that I wish an interview with me would be so in place of me talking about it, <laughs> listen to Ben, who says it all better than I ever could. It's just a really compelling, wonderful uh, podcast episode. It's about an hour long, but it's worth every second. So if you're at all interested in this in the climate change movement and you want to hear a little bit more about it and you want to hear about the science and the politics and the psychology of denial and exaggeration and everything, check out episode 109 of Talk Nerdy. On our website in the show notes, there's a link to this specific episode uh, on the web as well as in the iTunes podcast directory. Dope. Yeah, it's awesome. I'm excited. It's really, really good. I'm on the website right now. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Sweet. And then lastly, quickly, we have a listener pick sent in by listener Justin Nichols who's a longtime listener and has communicated with us quite a bit. He's a great dude. Uh, said he posted this in the Facebook group, but he wanted us to, to, to just sort of like take a look at it in case we missed it. Uh, but it's basically a write-up that he did on his blog uh, of Werner, Her- Werner Herzog's. Am I saying that right? Herzog? Herzog? Yeah, I think he uses the, the sort of the v- Werner. Werner Herzog. Werner Herzog. Uh, brilliant film director. Uh, Grizzly Man is one of my favorite documentaries because it's so haunting. 
but uh, this guy, Werner, Werner Herzog, uh, God, that was awful. Uh, he, I guess he's got this thing called Rogue Film School, and it was in Munich. And actually, one of our upcoming guests was also at that same exact um, thing recently. You'll hear about it again soon in a few weeks. But um, Justin wrote up a nice write-up basically summarizing uh, what he learned. And so there's a link to his summary, and there's some really good stuff in there for those DIY actors listening. So check it out. Link on our website to Justin's write-up. The uh, The website is haveyoubeenthere.com, and it's have-you-been-there.com. But the specific link is on our site. So check it out. Lots to dig into this week. Check it out. This episode is like chock full of stuff, man. Yes, action packed. Yeah. All right. So on that note, we got to get out of here. Let's <laughs> do it. Before we today. overload people's brains anymore. Yes. At least I'd like to think that's what's happening. Brain explosion. Yes. <laughs> that's where we're going to keep telling ourselves. Today's episode of Inside Acting was produced and co hosted <laughs> by yours truly, AJ Meyer, and of course, Trevor Algat. Jen Levin is our production coordinator. Gadali Gubrick is our marketing and web director. Deborah Smith is our community manager. Timothy Patrick Waterman is our director of public relations. Trevor Algat edited and mixed today's episode and composed our theme and interview music. And of course, Fern Lim designed our logo. You can sign up for our weekly email dispatch and listen to all of our episodes over at our website, InsideActing.net. You can also find us on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, pretty much anywhere you'd like to search for us. Go ahead and leave us a review, too, if you'd like, on iTunes especially. It's like putting a little tip in our tip jar, helps other people find the show, and it really makes it worth it for us. <laughs> Special thanks to our sponsors, Rehearsal Pro, go download it now, and VO2GoGo.com. And thanks to you, our listeners. If you love inside acting and want to maximize its value in your life and career and support the continued production of the podcast, sign up as a monthly or sorry, sorry, a, me- a member because you can do it monthly or yearly. You get a you get a little discount if you do it yearly uh, and get cool perks like access to our membership message board, cool freebies, invites to exclusive member meetups and much, much more. Um, including access to Trevor's morning routine um, uh, course, mini mini. What did you call it? The mini morning routine course. Yeah, basically, yeah, <laughs> mini course. Yeah, and uh, you can do all of that by visiting InsideActing.net. Just click on the membership tab. And that does it for episode 239 of Inside Acting. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next week. And in the meantime, brain explosion. Yes, no, no. You you do your thing, man. All right. It was all I could think of.